morning, church. My name is Warren Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. Talking about freedom, that mass was trying to keep me in bondage just now. And so here we are. Um, guys, it's so good to be able to dive into God's word together with you as we continue on in the gospel of John. Church, what I want you to hear this morning is that the truth will set you free. Now, when we hear that phrase, our mind can go to many places, right? Because it's a phrase that's often quoted in movies and books and songs. Maybe as I said that phrase where your mind went to was that scene in the movie, um, Liar Liar with Jim Carrey, where he's finally forced to tell the truth after a lifetime of lying and he yells out, the truth will set you free as he wins a court case for his client. Or maybe it was more of an experience like this, something similar to what I experienced. So when I was younger, um, you know, I was finally got my learner's permit, was able to, 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 to drive, and um, I took out the family car. I had no business driving it, um, and the streets back east are very narrow. So, um, uh, you know, I took out the family car, and I hit another car. And instead of coming home and owning up to it, what I did was like, well, I think I can get away with this. If I just come home late enough, I parked the car, and my parents would just wake up and think it was sideswiped. They didn't work. You know, maybe you heard the truth, maybe you heard the, the phrase, the truth will set you free in that context as someone tried to wring the truth out of you and just say, if you're just honest enough, you can experience freedom from guilt. Or maybe you saw the truth will set you free um, on the walls of an academic institution, a library, a, a college, a high school of some sort, and it was implied that if you just get the knowledge that is stored up in this institution, you will assent to some sort of uh, intellectual freedom you'll have freedom from ignorance. Now, the thing is with this phrase, it doesn't originate from a screenwriter, doesn't originate from an academic institution. It sure enough doesn't originate from my parents, right? It is the words of Jesus, right? The author of life said this phrase. And so today where we wanna go is we wanna understand what he meant, what he had to say. And we're gonna learn how when we abide in Jesus, we learn the truth, we live into the true reality of life, and that we get to experience a freedom that only Jesus can provide, amen? So before we dive into the truth, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would flow through me this morning. Lord God, as I uh, lead through your word, Lord, open our hearts, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, to receive the truth um, from you today. God, we know in that truth is not just a, a, a mental sort of um, freedom, but it's freedom in every area of our life. So God, allow us to hear your words today, to abide in them, God, and to be able to experience freedom and freedom indeed. In your name, amen. So pick up with me in John 8, verse 31. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if you want to set the scene a bit here, Jesus is at the temple. He's been preaching and teaching all day. And the way that this day started off, as Will um, so beautifully described a couple of weeks ago, there was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she's brought to the temple and there are her, her, the people who brought her are ready to exact the execution or exact judgment on her, but the words of Jesus allow her to go free. What a day, what a start to the day. That was breakfast, right? And then the day continues on as Jake described last week, Jesus continues to preach and teach and he talks about how everything that he's doing is divinely directed by the Father, and that he is the light, he is the light that will bring the, the crowds and uh, the, the people he's speaking to out of darkness, 
right? But as Jesus is preaching and teaching, he's getting all sorts of uh, uh, accusations of blasphemy, you know, he's being called a liar, right? But Jesus, calm, cool, collected, he continues to preach. And as it so happens that whenever the words of life are spoken, whenever the, the, the truth is spoken, the ice of unbelief that clouds many people's hearts melts away, right? And people come to believe because they recognize that the words of Jesus are the words of life. It is the answer to the satisfaction and longing that, are, that is inside of them. And so what, 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 the, what the writer, what John tells us is that there are many there who actually come to believe. So you could imagine this scene, right? Maybe the, the hearers, they start to, their eyes start to open up a bit more, right? They start to lean in a bit more. They're whole, hanging on to every word that's coming out of Jesus' mouth. And Jesus turns and directs his attention towards them. And this is what Jesus does. He meets us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us where, we at, where we're at, right? And so they believe, but Jesus says, now, don't just believe, enter into the true reality. Enter into truth. He invites them to be true disciples, Right, because there is one thing to just believe something to be true versus seeing that belief evidence in the way we spend our time, the places we put our trust, right? Our thoughts, where our, our thought life spends most of its time. It's one thing to mentally believe, it's another thing to abide. Jesus invites them deeper. You know, I'm reminded of when I was growing up in New York, uh, I'd spend some, you know, just some good amount of time on, on the basketball courts. I was never a great basketball player. Right, but there were a lot of kids on the courts who would say, you know what, because of my uh, crossover, which I'm acting like I could do something here, but I can't. Uh, because of my crossover, because of my smooth jump shot, right, I'm gonna be the next Kobe Bryant. I'm, I believe I'm gonna be the next Patrick Ewing. I'm gonna be, believe I'm gonna be the next Michael Jordan. But their actions wouldn't show a loyalty to what they believed. Right, instead of uh, you know, going out and taking a thousand shots at 4 a.m., right, or getting coaching or learning how to play within a system, they'd be hanging out with me. And you know what, I'm a man of many skills, but basketball is not one of them, right? So much so there's a group of guys who play basketball here on Friday mornings. And I was like, yo, guys, like, I'd love to come and play with you guys. And they were like, it's not for you, buddy. Not for you, not for you. Right, but you know, uh, they wouldn't abide within the game of basketball and you would see that they wouldn't be able to experience the success that they believed in, right? Because their actions weren't faithful. They didn't have, act, their actions weren't an outflowing of what they believed, right? And we saw the, the, the people who were able to experience the success in the game of basketball who did ab abide in the game by practicing and getting coaching and doing all the things that you need to be successful in a basketball career. And I think that's similar to what Jesus is inviting us to today, right? He invites us to move beyond just having a belief that we may have amongst many other beliefs to a belief in him solely as the king and the way to our salvation and freedom. He's inviting us to abide in him, abide in the truth of reality. And I know that whenever we hear this word abide, it sounds like, man, where, where do we actually ever use that word? Right, the only word that pop, the only way that pops up is when you come to church, right? Like no one, no one speaks about abiding, right? But it's not true. There are many places that we can find ourselves abiding. For the, the hearers of the text today, we're gonna, as we go into the passage and, 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 and move along, we're gonna see that they abided more in their ancestral lineage more than the words of Jesus. Right, and for us, we could be abiding in our worries. We could be abiding in our shame. We could be abiding in social media. There's so many other places where if we're being honest, our thought life is spent outside of remaining and holding firmly to the, to the words of Jesus. 
Jesus is telling them then, he's telling us today, that if we are truly wanting to follow him, it's gonna take a continuation of being in his presence. And I know that whenever we hear something like that, the first place our mind goes to is like, yeah, I just need to read my Bible more. You should, right? They're like, oh, it's like, oh, I just need to pray more. You should. But the danger there is that you can just create a checklist, a reality that you just live at the beginning of your day and the end of the day, and then all the hours in between, you just step into another reality. No, we want the words of Jesus to saturate our thoughts. We want them to mold every act, everything that happens in our life. We want this to be molded by the words of Jesus so that we can live out what we say as a church, that we are disciples in all of our life, all for Jesus. Abiding in the truth allows us to experience life in truth. And what Jesus says is that as we abide in him, he's gonna reveal the truth of reality to us. Verse 32, it says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I think we need to stop here, right? Because if Jesus said this statement, maybe in the middle of Tempe, somebody would say, Jesus, I think you meant your truth. Right, our concept of truth is very different than what the original hearers of this text or, or, or thought of truth, right? One of, the, one of the things that bothered me when I first became a pastor was like, I knew I'd actually have to tell people I was a pastor. And I didn't have like any shame around the role or anything like that. I just know that people can get really weird when you tell them that you work in ministry, right? They might, they might start to be like, hey, like, you know, like, I'm like, hey, how are you doing today? They're like, hey, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm, I'm like, you know what? If, if, you're, if that's really on your heart, that's great. Like, God bless you. But you don't have to like be inauthentic. You don't, gotta, you don't have to say more or try to sound holier just to talk to me, right? Or, or people can want to get to like these full, into these full philosophical conversations as I'm trying to eat a cheeseburger, Right, like people can get weird when you work in ministry. But I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna lie, I'm really proud I'm a pastor. Someone asked me <laughs> from the last service, are you ashamed to be a pastor? I'm like, no, man, if that's what you got from this story. Um, no, you know, I'm not ashamed to be a pastor. And, I, and, I, and you know, I, I didn't wanna lie and make up stuff when people asked me. So I had a friend who, um, who, came, who called me up from back home and he was like, hey man, Warren, what are you up to these days? And I was like, yeah, man, you know what? Life is going pretty well, got a little daughter. Um, and also I'm like, pastoring at this church in Tempe, and it's great, man. If you're ever in town, dude, you gotta check us out. He was like, you know what? I'm not gonna check you out. You know I'm not gonna do that, but I am so happy for you. I am so glad that you have found your truth and you're living into it. Oh man, that's so awesome for you, man. And then the conversation kind of like derailed into, derailed from there, right? And I know this is just one conversation, but I think it actually provides some insight into how our culture handles truth today. Right, our culture tells us that you can just pick the truth that exists in this big bag and you just pick the best one out that best fits your experience and once you find that, you'll be free. And you can pick any sort of truth that you want out of that bag as long as it doesn't infringe on someone else's concept of truth. If you believe that about truth, I got some bad news for you. That's not the way that truth works. Right, there are true and objective things about the way that God has created the world. So if we, you know, let, let, let's play this out, right? You, you, you go on and you're flying in a plane, right? You're, 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 you're a passenger in that plane. You want that pilot to operate in truth because if that pilot says, you know what? I believe planes are best landed in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You would say, no, 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 no. 
that's not true. Right? Do you want the pilot to understand the truth of the technology available to him and the laws of science and gravity and things that are way beyond my understanding? Right? Or when you go to the doctor and you go there, you go in there for a hangnail because, you know, I don't know, people go to the doctor for all sorts of reasons these days. You go in there for a hangnail and the doctor says, you know what, I'm going to sedate this person. I'm going to put them under and I'm going to, I believe that humanity 2.0 is going to have their stomachs actually where their hearts are and their hearts are where their stomach. And by doing this surgery today, I am going to move humanity forward. You would say, doctor, no, that is not true. And if he actually gets through with that, you're not going to be saying anything, to be honest with you. You're going to be meeting the truth face to face. So I guess the question is, if we can respect the truth of a doctor, or we can respect the truth of a pilot, then why can't God be trusted? Where our culture says that we will find freedom in just finding the right truth, Jesus says the, the, the truth is singular and it comes from him. John opens up his gospel by telling us that Jesus is the word of God made flesh. He is the truth incarnate who has come to show us the way to the living God and being God, he cannot lie. His spirit, what it does is it allows us to properly discern what is true and we can live into the truth reality, the true reality of who the creator has designed us to be. A random pastor I follow on Twitter, he said this, nothing weakens the tremendous power of truth like putting the word you're in front of it. When we connect with the truth of reality, we connect with the God who is holding all things together at the center of the universe. It is reality, it is truth. He reveals that to us. So what, you know what, maybe, maybe you're here and you've been trying to search for the right philosophy. You've been trying to search for the right self-help book, the right YouTube channel to just describe, to subscribe to. And you think that once you, once you get that truth that they're trying to tell you, that you are gonna be able to experience freedom from all the things that are, you know that are keeping you under. And you've been searching and searching and everything that you have found is overpromised and underdelivered. I'm here to tell you, you don't have to search anymore. The truth you are looking for, the freedom you are looking for is found in Jesus. His truth is what allows us to experience freedom. If Jesus isn't your reality, then the truth that you're building your life on is as real as reality TV. The scam likely. When you try to live into your own truth, what, ha- what actually happens is you become entrapped under a lie. A lie that we can gain the freedom and satisfaction that we're so desperately searching for outside of the king. We become trapped within the bondage of sin as we try to live into a, a false notion of what is true. And that's the crowd. That's what the crowd here is experiencing and what Jesus is about to reveal to them. Pick up with me in verse 33. He says, it says, they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So the believing crowd up to this point, they've been like me when I'm normally sitting out in the pews. They're like, mm, yes. Oh man, that's so good. Right? Like, oh. But now they've run into a roadblock in Jesus' teaching. They're like, Jesus, wait, wait a second. You're saying that we need to be free? What, what are you talking about? Right, and, they're, and, the, and, they're ang- and the anger of their response, they, it doesn't even make sense. Like they've clearly forgotten their history, right? Because if you are any sort of familiar with the Jewish story, you know that they were actually enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. But they're like, you know what? 
that was, that was our ancestors. Like, that's not us. Jesus, why, why are you bringing up old stuff, man? Just look around. Like, yeah, we're under Roman oppression. Yeah, sometimes the guards kind of push us around. But you know what? We have our own king, right? We have political freedom. And they're like, Jesus, look where you're standing. You're in the middle of the temple, right? We were just about to kill somebody like a couple hours ago. We have religious freedom. But Jesus responds by pointing out the truth that you can have religious freedom. You can have political freedom. You can have financial freedom. You can have every sort of external freedom that's out there, but you can still be internally, your heart can still be enslaved to the power of sin. You're not as free as you think you are. And Jesus tries to open their eyes to this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus continues to point out, hey, you guys think you have all these freedoms, right? You think that you're bringing freedom to the world. Jesus says, you're not as free as you think you are. You are actually a slave to sin. And I think the only thing that's worse, possibly worse than being a slave is not recognizing that you are a slave, right? This may be news to some of you guys out there, but slavery is absolutely the worst human condition that any human being could be placed under, right? Like, you know, we, we think of where we've seen slavery in uh, American history and international history. It's just the absolute, it's one of the most horrific things that any human being could be placed under. But we can even think back to scripture where it talks about slavery, the story of the Exodus, the story that the crowd that is standing in front of Jesus have kind of conveniently forgotten, <laughs> right? And in this story, scripture tells us that what slavery did is it completely broke them physically to the point that they were, you know, they, they had these high quotas to, to, to meet under this tyrant Pharaoh. And this Pharaoh never even gave them the materials they needed to actually meet those quotas. He just worked them and worked them and worked them until they died. And so there's the physical enslavement, the physical aspect of enslavement. But beyond that, there is also an emotional and spiritual element to enslavement. Right, what scripture tells us is that what slavery did to the Israelites is it brought them misery and uh, you know, it broke their spirits and it just continued on and on and on with no hope inside until they cry out and God steps in. Jesus is telling us that if we are not living into the freedom that he brings, then we are living under a tyrant of sin, which will continue to work us on and on and on until it actually kills us spiritually and physically. Slavery in any form is completely dehumanizing. The freedom that Jesus brings allows us to live into the reality to be truly human. Jesus seeks to show us that truth. He seeks to bring us that freedom. But if we don't accept it, then we are living into a, a, a life of enslavement, which will only crush us physically and spiritually. You know, Jake preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago on human approval. And I don't know about you guys, but I really related to that one. <laughs> there are so many times in my life that I felt, you know, entrapped under this sin. And one of the places where it really popped up is in my relationship to work. And I believe the lie of this sin. I believe the lie that, you know what, my value as a human being was completely tied up in what I could produce for my company. It was completely tied up in the opinions and thoughts of my managers and peers and colleagues and, and so forth. 
And so what happened is there, what happened, uh, you know, with that sin, the way it, that, that lie worked itself out is, what I, is that I just continued to work and I worked and I worked and I gained the promotions and I got the perks and pay raises and all the beautiful things that every step of the ladder that I climbed up where I thought, okay, now I'll be satisfied. It only left me emptier. Right, this is what sin does to us. It overpromises and completely underdelivers, and it, it, it completely leaves us emptier than when we even started out. You know, I've been able to experience some healing in this area by not living into the lie that my value is tied up in what I could produce. No, my value, my intrinsic value comes from being created in the image of God and being known and knowing the God of the universe. I know there's, there, there, there've been groups where I've heard this question. How would you act if you knew that you were loved unconditionally by God? How would you, how would you orient your life? And that is the truth. That is the truth that brings freedom. You are loved unconditionally by God. And it's not just with work, you know, that we see that people, you, you know, we, you can be enslaved under the power of sin. It pops up in many areas of our life, right? For some, for some of you, you may be enslaved to the, the, the outbursts of anger, right? Where bitterness has caused your, your, your heart to grow cold. Right? And people, your, your family and friends to isolate from you because they don't, they don't know what you're going to do. They just think, oh man, what if he fly? What if he or she flies off the handle again? Right? And you become enslaved. You say, I don't even know how to control this thing. Right? You can be enslaved to the, the sense and need for control. Right? And if this past year has shown us anything is that we are not in control. Right, but we can believe that lie and then be enslaved to the fear of all the what ifs of life as, as the storms of life come up. We just feel like we're always on shaky ground because we are trying to control everything and life just tells us you can't do that. So you become enslaved to the sense of fear around all the possibilities of what can happen. Or you can become enslaved to other people's opinions, what they have to say and think about you. Right, and instead of being able to engage in a, a, a relationships in a healthy way, you're always feeling enslaved to the need to prove yourself. Right, because you, you feel all these insecurities and you're wondering, what if he said, what does she have to say? What is he? And, you, and you, you, you're not, you're like paralyzed by your sense of inadequ inadequacy. So that's the bad news is that there are a lot of, ways that we can be enslaved under the power of sin. But it doesn't end there. The good news is that there is a person who has come and he sees the chains that are over your life and he says, chains be broken. This person has come to set you free. This person we're talking about today is Jesus Christ, the son. And he has come to set you free. He has come to set us free, the son must set us free. Let's pick up in verse 35. It says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. And so Jesus points out that within his father's house, there is the gift of freedom, but you have to receive it from a permanent and free member of the household. You know, when I, when I moved out of my parents' house, um, it was great. I moved into an apartment that was owned by my aunt. 
Um, and, it, you know, I was able to experience, you know, moving my stuff in, decorating. I wasn't eating from my mom's fridge, which I'm sure she really appreciated because I got a big appetite. Right, and I was able to have some freedom in my aunt's house. But if I decided, hey, you know what, auntie? I'm gonna completely remodel this place. And not only that, all the things that you've left behind, pff, trash. She was saying the most Caribbean accent that you could imagine, boy, have you lost your mind. Right, and she would be right because I didn't own the house. I wasn't a permanent member of the house. I was just a temporary resident. And it just so happened that, you know what, if her aunt, I mean, if her daughter or son decided they needed a place to stay and we couldn't actually like move in together, they weren't leaving, I was. Right, they were, they were permanent members of the family with permanent rights to the status of the household. And so I think this is what throws the crowd for a loop here that we're looking at today because they think of themselves as permanent members of the house. Right? They believe because of their history, the way that God has used them as a representation of himself throughout the world. They're like, oh, we're good here forever. But Jesus actually points out that's not the case. And he does it in a couple ways. One, they can't grant the freedom that's in the father's house because they themselves are enslaved under the power of sin. They can't give away that freedom that they themselves need. They need God to step in and grant them freedom as he is offering it to them today. But the problem is, point two, is that they don't recognize the son as the one who brings freedom. The son who scripture tells us is the exact image of the father. Right, he is standing right in front of them. He is the king that has been promised throughout all of scripture and he's standing there and offering them freedom. And they're like, we don't know you. So they're proving themselves to actually be strangers to God's house. And Jesus is going to go on in no uncertain terms to tell them exactly what house they belong to. You'll hear more about that next week. Right? They don't recognize the son. So there's no way they can recognize the father. They're strangers to this house. And what Jesus makes the point, he uses the image of slavery again, that slaves, you know what? They may have responsibilities in the house. They may clean the floors, right? They may hang the curtains and do the laundry, but they do not have the same rights as permanent members of the house. And guess what? If the owner of the house decides, hey, I'm going to build a new house, right? And you know what? Those workers who are there, they're not up to par. I'm going to start over. They have to go. And that's what God is doing. He is building a new house of people that, that, that he will call his own. And Jesus is the cornerstone. So if you, don't, if you don't abide in Jesus, if you are not in Christ, then you have no place in this household. At any point, a slave can be kicked out of the house. Right? When, when you're in that sort of position, when it's time to go, it's time to go. I think about the image from the show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where the character Jazz, when he pushes Uncle Phil too far, out the door. All right? But also in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there's the character of Will. And Will didn't start off as a son. No, Will was born in West Philadelphia, born and raised. And the playground is where Will spent most of his days. And Will is adopted in by no act of his own. He is com it's completely by the grace of Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv that he is brought into the household. And he's given the same rights as their biological son, Carlton. And the freedom that Will actually experiences is not just the freedom from a couple of guys who are up to no good. It actually includes a freedom to pursue his dreams and passions and education and all sorts of things in the safety of Uncle Phil's house. And you know what? Will needed some constraints. Because as we saw in episode after episode, when Will wasn't given constraints to his freedom, 
Uncle Phil normally had to go and save him, right? The, the, the constraints on Will allowed him to live into his full potential. Family, Jesus is inviting us like Uncle Phil to experience freedom in his father's house as sons. And Jesus can grant us this freedom because unlike his Jewish listeners, his status within the household of God is completely unchangeable. Right, scripture tells us, Hebrews tells us that Jesus lives forever. His priesthood is permanent. Once we believe and abide in Jesus, we are adopted in and we become sons and slaves no more. We become children of the one true God. Jesus brings true freedom. And he, 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 this, he says he came to set us free and free indeed. I think to understand this sort of freedom, we have to like completely disconnect it from some of the notions of freedom that we have today. You know, I talked about political freedoms and religious freedoms or financial freedom. That's not what Jesus is exactly getting at here today. Right, if we, and beyond that, if you go up to someone on the street, maybe you walk outside and you, um, no one walks in Arizona, but you know what I mean. Um, if, you, if you go up to someone um, and, and you ask them, hey, what does freedom mean to you? They're gonna be like, you know what? A lot of people will say, you know what? As long as I can do whatever I want, I'm free. Right, but if we just apply that logic at the most basic level, you know, let's, let's think back to the all of life interview we saw with the forensic pathologist, Mark Shelley. And if we just apply that when it comes to food, what Mark actually explained to us is that if we just say, hey, you know what? I'm just going to eat whatever I want, right? What actually happens is you become constrained to bad health later on in life. It actually doesn't lead to real freedom, right? Freedom is just not being able to do whatever we want. If you take that approach to food, you're going to end up in Mark's office a lot sooner. The freedom that we get in Jesus is the freedom to live into who we were designed to be. We experience freedom from the lies of Satan and into the truth about who Jesus says we are. We experience freedom from death and sin and freedom to live life to our fullest capacities and to serve God in all we do. Not just for a good life here, but to reign with him forever. John would go on later to write that who else has overcome the world, except those that know that Jesus is Lord. That is freedom. Author D.A. Carson described freedom like this, true freedom like this. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. And it is genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. Family, the truth will set you free. And when I first said this statement, maybe what came to mind is a person who's just in the pits of darkness, right? And they're searching around, searching to find the truth, searching to find the thing that's gonna allow them to get out of this darkness. And all they needed to do is just climb up the ladder of truth and come out and say, hey, I'm free now, I got it. But no, the beauty of the gospel is that the truth himself has gone down into the darkness, down into the pain, down into the bondage of your sin. And he says, be free. He has brought truth and freedom and he is bringing truth and freedom to you today. And so you may be here, you may be feeling trapped under your sin. You may be feeling trapped by something that happened last night or something someone said to you. I want you to know that the enemy does not have the last word. 
Jesus has the last word. And he says to you, as you're feeling this, as you're in the midst of your, your, your pain, son, be free. Daughter, be free. Jesus has come to bring us true freedom. Amen? So as we come to a, a close today, what I want you to do is to just take a moment. Close your eyes and, and pray and ask God to reveal to you what, what are the areas of your life that you are not living into the freedom that Jesus provides? What are the areas of your life that are still in bondage to sin, that are still in bondage to the lies of the enemy? And I just pray and, and pray that Jesus, the truth, the reality of who Jesus is, would free, would provide the freedom, the sense of freedom, and the true freedom that he brings would, would be so evident and felt in your hearts and in your life and in every decision you make. Take a moment to pray now and then I'll pray and lead us in communion. God, we are so grateful, Lord, that we get to serve you, the God of freedom, the God who is, is big enough to orchestrate everything, Lord, but, but, but gets low and close and sees us in the midst of our pain. Lord, we pray this morning, God, that for anyone, I pray this morning for anyone in here who's feeling the, the, the chains of sin, the bond under the bondage of sin, God, we speak freedom. Jesus, we know that you are a God who brings freedom. You break every single chain. And I just pray, God, that that would be uh, what, what, what we experience, Lord, as we leave from this place today, every chain being broken. God, there's wherever your spirit is, your word tells us that there is freedom. Lord, allow us to experience that freedom in truth. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. You take out your communion elements. And the bread, bread signifies God's body freely given to us through Jesus. Through the cross, through his life, through his resurrection, he has given us freedom. He has granted us freedom. You may eat. And the wine or the juice signifies the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ that when it covers you, it grants freedom. The blood of Christ that gives us freedom, that saves. And that was, it represents the God who freely laid down his own freedom so that we could be free. You drink. Now we'll continue with worship. <laughs> 